Welcome to BA in Science. I'm Maggie, that's Brenna. Hi. And we can't wait to tell you all about our badass human who also happened to be a scientist. Except not this week, because today our BA is not really a BA, because yeah. it's BS week. And we have, we have a doozy for you. We have major BS this week. Um, our, our guy actually has a lot in common with another actual BA that we've talked about this season. But then there are some rumors and legends that take a disturbing turn. And are they really as bad as everyone makes it out to be? So we're going to explore some of that. We're going to decide where the BS is here. It's going to be great. I can't wait. I mean, yeah. I know it's hard to beat white demon horse, but I think today will be, you know, I don't know. It's going to be hard for me. It's going to be hard to top the white demon horse episode just in general for me I from mean, a personal waffle. I mean, it was pretty good. I think I laughed the hardest on that one than I've ever laughed on any pot other episode. It's true. Well, I'm, but I can tell you, cause I'm doing a bonus episode on this that goes with this. Mm-hmm. I feel, and which, you know, so if you're not a patron, you need to go over to Patreon because you do not want to miss the bonus episode that goes with this one. Let me assure you, because that episode might be my personal favorite. So, so speaking of Patreon, let's deal with our weekly business um, and then get to our addendums. If we have, I have one addendum this week. So, okay. Um, okay so check us out on Facebook and Instagram at BA and science. We post pics and source info for this and every other episode that we do. If you have a suggestion for us in terms of a BA that we might want to consider, you can send it there. I promise all BAs get considered. Dad sends and mom both send them periodically. We always take a look. Some get added. Some are already on the list. Um, oh, and you can email us that too at science at gmail.com. Remember, wherever you listen, especially if you listen on Apple Podcasts, rate, review, subscribe, favorite, like, tell people. If you don't listen on Apple, switch over and listen on Apple. <laughs> because on iTunes? On iTunes, yeah. Because um, Apple Podcasts, they're like when, when enough people listen to it, they do say, Hey, you guys like this. You might also like this one. And our podcast would come up. So again, a good way to just, that costs you nothing to share us with other people, especially if you let Apple podcasts do it for you. So anyway, I already mentioned Patreon. So if you are not a patron yet, what are you doing? Because there is such good content over there. There's fun stuff, things we just don't post on our regular Facebook because it's too long or we just like to have special things for our patrons. So you can just go to the Patreon website and search BA in Science. You'll see us. We're easy to find. Okay, so that's my weekly business. Now, do you have any addendums from, let's see, last week was Henrietta Levitt. Do you have any addendums from her? No, not relating to her. Do you have an addendum? But I have an addendum. Okay. Yes. You can go first because I have one too. It's actually an addendum for my favorite Demon White Horse episode. Oh. Um, so I'm reading a book now called Molecules of Murder Ooh. by John L. Emsley. And it's fabulous. And there's probably going to be at least one mini episode from me on content from this book because it's amazing. And there's like 
molecules of murder part two there's like a second book too so yeah i Um, want to read these immediately yeah it's i mean it's put out by the rsc which is the royal society of chemistry so it's like a you know a a real like it's not a publication but it's definitely a little bit more technical Mm -hmm. but i don't think it's too technical for our listeners yeah to still enjoy it but i was reading about chloroform and a case of chloroform poisoning and kind of all about chloroform. It's very interesting. But mm-hmm. I was reading and I about fell out of my chair because they were talking. So he talks about kind of the history of um, anesthetics because chloroform was an anesthetic. But mm-hmm. then he starts with the fact that diethyl ether was actually the first man-made anesthetic that people mm-hmm. were using. Mm-hmm. And we don't know who discovered it. But John Emsley mentions that Paracelsus experimented with it. And observe that when he mixed it with food, his hens fell asleep for a while and then woke up none worse, none the worse for the wear. Um, and then nobody used it again for these purposes until 1842. But yeah, um, Paracelsus was given his chicken's diethyl ether, I guess, and realizing that it, you know, had a soothing effect. Sleepy time chemical. But I just really like, well, yeah, I mean maybe too sleepy times sometimes, but um, I just really like that. I feel like Paracelsus now just appears all the time. And I'm like, I know that guy. Oh, I know that guy. Oh, Hey, I know that guy. I was like, I was researching a guy we're doing uh, two weeks from now and he came up. Yeah. He just, he's everywhere. I don't know. It's amazing. Very cool. That's a good addendum. I like it. Mine is very much more run of the mill, but no less awesome. So we have a couple shout outs we need to do. Uh, well, one, I want to shout out some of our Patreon patrons. Like, so mom and dad, thanks guys. Um, and also Ashley, thank you for being a patron. You're amazing. You will not regret it. You're going to love our mini episodes. A whole bunch more coming out. I know that the, the ones for the beginning of the season were have been sparse, but all the rest of them are coming out now for these last episodes because there's a lot going on in these last episodes it's gonna be fun so thanks for that also ashley guest our ba from last week henrietta so she texted me before the episode came out but the way we record we couldn't get it like it didn't land in that episode so shouting Mm -hmm. you out good job you totally guessed right Uh, and so did dad for last week so good job dad good job so that's my only addendum that's the rest of the info I've got if you don't have anything else I say we get started on the BS this week all right all right let's take a break so I hesitate to call the subject of our episode a BA this week only because we classified him as as BS I I mean it doesn't make him not a BA but he wasn't a BA I don't think he was I really don't so I'm not calling him one he was a charlatan probably And maybe that's a hot take. Maybe that's not a controversial opinion, but I don't know. I guess we'll find out once I tell you all about him. And once you talk about his science, I think that will help. And I'm, because I said, I'm, I'm doing his life story this week. So um, Brenna, give us our quote. Then I will tell you all about some BS. Okay. A man must have the gift of divination to be able to deduce a regular and consistent system of doctrine from the various productions of this incoherent and unintelligible writer who was a chemist into the bargain and whose brain seems to have been heated to a high degree of fermentation by the fire of the laboratory. That was said by a professor at Göttingen uh, named something Mosheim. Anyway, 
I just feel like this quote demonstrates, you know, a sentiment shared by probably a lot of people. Pretty much everyone that met him would agree with that sentiment, in fact. Our guy this week, who's full of BS, is Johan Conrad Dippel. Johan Conrad Dippel, who I will be calling John. Fair enough. I'll call him JK because he's a big joke. He is a joke. I think that that's apt. We probably should start coordinating our nicknames. Yeah. Yeah, Maybe we'll think about it for next season. So, okay. So John, Johan Conrad Dippel is a weird dude. Like really weird. Super weird. Maybe anyone who could claim to be born at Castle Frankenstein would be a little off though. John was born at the infamous, now infamous, Castle, well, we say Frankenstein, it's Castle Frankenstein, it's Berg Frankenstein, if you're, you know, from German. It's Frankenstein. Carry on. I know, like, the, the title of this episode is putting on the Ritz because of that connection. Young Frankenstein is the best Frankenstein movie there is. Don't at me. Period. Yeah. Gene Wilder is a gem, was a gem. Anyway, so John was born at Castle Frankenstein in, which is near Darmstadt, Germany in 1673. Let me give you a little info about what was going on at Castle Frankenstein at this time. To get to this castle first, there's this switchbacky road that goes up 1100 feet. So it's up there. Okay. If you look at pictures of the castle now, which I did and which I'm going to post, it looks exactly like what you'd think a creepy gothic castle looks like. Mm -hmm. So back in Dipple's day, the castle was not actually used at that time to house the von Frankenstein family. They had moved other places because the, the name Frankenstein, the Frankenstein family is a very old name. It's got like hundreds of years of history in Germany, Mm -hmm. but they weren't living there at this time. At the, at the time that Johann was born, that John was born, it was used as a military hospital for refugees from the Franco-Dutch war. One of them, because I think there was more than one. I don't know. This is the time in Europe when everyone's fighting about everything, which. And fighting in weird places about things. Fighting in weird places about weird stuff because like, didn't the French and the Germans fight in Italy or something? Anyway, they just fought. I don't know. I don't understand. weird places over weird stuff. Or, and this is the one where one of the Louis was fighting in the Rhineland with the Dutch, who okay. were, in fact, not in the Rhineland because that's Germany. Okay. Yeah. So, anyway, Castle von Frankenstein was being used as a military hospital at this time. John's family were, they were of the nobility they were you know uh, okay nobility is maybe a strong word they were well enough to do that um they were going to be able to afford good educations for their kids and whatever but because of this war they were refugees so they were refugees living in this castle slash military hospital Mm -hmm. hence john's place of birth being creepy castle frankenstein okay his dad was a Lutheran clergyman, so he had a really good job, and it was a common and fairly respected profession at the time. Something else that was common at the time was that a son would go into whatever line of work his father had been in, so everyone just kind of assumed that John would grow up and he'd become a Lutheran minister, and that would 
kind of be that. So Pastor Dad was John's tutor until like the whole war thing kind of calmed down. And eventually he went to a primary school and had secondary school kind of that's how we would think of it. He eventually did all those things, but Pastor Dad was his tutor for, in his early life, which was probably the only ordinary part of his upbringing. <laughs> he, well, he lived as a refugee at Castle Frankenstein for a while. And since it was a military hospital, he just mm-hmm. kind of played around and among disfigured soldiers, amputees, and they were all certainly very kind to him. They weren't bad people. Mm-hmm. But it seems like the reality of those experiences would have made an impact on a developing psyche as we, yeah, as we might find out later. I don't know, just, you know, something to put in your satchel. So John was called a loner by pretty much everyone that knew him all through his childhood. Mm-hmm. His peers gave him the nickname The Owl because he liked to be alone and he would stay up all night in the main castle tower reading by candlelight. Quite quite frankly, he just sounds like a spooky kid. Okay, I mean, I'm not sure that staying up late to read by candlelight is, you know, that bad. In a tower? In Castle Frankenstein? Well, maybe that was where his room was. Where else was he supposed to stay up in the middle of the night to read? Okay, maybe. Maybe he didn't want his parents to know that he was using the candles and get them taken away, like, uh... Who was that? We had a BA that that happened to. Tesla? No. Yeah. Mm. Edison? No. It was Tesla. Was it Tesla? It was Tesla. Because then he just like made his own candles. Anyway, so I'm just saying of all the things, like that is not something that contributes to his weirdness. I'm just defending us avid readers out there. Yeah. Well, just like your daughter who is an avid reader, as she informed you the other day. And I'm an avid reader and I, I guess I, okay again but I don't do it how often have you stayed up late reading a book even though you know you should have been asleep less than 24 hours ago so precisely ditto so exactly he still feels like a spooky kid okay so maybe this isn't the thing that puts him over the edge it's not but when you put it on top of all of the other stuff all right it just adds to the spookiness all right all right okay fortunately for john He had an ego the size of the Holy Roman Empire, state of mind, and Mm -hmm. considered himself a superior individual with special gift for understanding the mysteries of the universe. Mm -hmm. And let me tell you, if he tried to tell any of his friends that, they probably also nicknamed him insufferable. Yeah. Because, yikes, dude, yikes. So he was the kind of guy that when people had put it around that he sold his soul to the devil for certain gifts, he didn't do a lot to correct them. That tells was, one of those, was one of those gifts a white horse? Oh, don't, don't worry. We have a lot of Paracelsus vibes coming at you. A lot right. of Paracelsus vibes. Hope it was a white Satan horse that he was getting if he's going to be no, getting I gifts think, from no, Satan. No, that was, that was special to Pat. Pat's the only one that got a white horse from Satan. Oh, okay. Know. Okay. Yes. Okay. So anyway, he finished primary and secondary school and he went to Giessen University to study theology and become a pastor like that. Quick history break. What was the world like in 1693? Well, the countries of Europe had, like the ones that had big deal navies, okay? They were doing their exploration, colonization, building their economies and their empires kind of thing. Germany wasn't really a coastal country like a Spain or a Britain. Like it has coastline, but it's not Spain or Britain. Did they ever try to mess with the Baltic? I don't even know. 
I don't know. That's really their only access to water. Right. And so I think it was just, they had bigger fish to fry. So, um, because what they did do a lot of at this time was argue about religious philosophies, mm-hmm. usually Calvinism versus Lutheranism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if you recall, and Brenna and I know this very well because we happen to be Lutheran, uh, in 1517-ish, Martin Luther informed the Roman church that they were doing it wrong, and the Roman church took major exception to that. Uh, but Luther's desire to reform, 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 remake the church encouraged other people, other reformers to give the same thing a shot, one of whom was John Calvin. Lutheranism and Calvinism are similar in a lot of ways until it comes to the issue of predestination primarily, but I'm not, I'm not going into all of that here. Yeah. What's important is that Lutheranism and Calvinism were kind of vying for the top spot in the Protestant Reformation by this time. But it had been almost 200 years since Luther did his thing. So, of course, Lutheranism and Calvinism weren't the only options anymore because various groups had splintered off, different sects had formed. They were all doing their best to discredit everyone else. That was kind of what was going on. Mm-hmm. Honestly, it was a bit of a mess. And it's, that's a very oversimplified view of the whole thing, but that's kind of the backdrop for what was going on in German yeah. at universities when John was there. There was bickering, there's fighting, mean tweets, and John was here for it. He loved it and jumped in with both feet. So here's some more major Paracelsus vibes, okay? While okay. at Gießen, John often added the name Frankensteina Stratomontanus to his oh. own name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he went, he used that name. Uh, and believe me when I tell you, this is not the last time we will compare John to Pat. Okay. He's going to come up a lot. So in addition to his fancy name, John got a reputation at school for being very intelligent. Mm-hmm. He completed his dissertation in three years. Telling him that he was brilliant was completely unnecessary, thanks to that giant ego of his. Mm-hmm. It's that very same ego that directly led to him being kind of rebellious, which got mm-hmm. him into various kinds of trouble, as rebelling often will. For one thing, the name of his dissertation was De Nihilo, which means on nothing, mm-hmm. implying that he learned pretty much nothing from his professors. which as you can imagine was super popular Mm -hmm. like seriously this guy has no chill whatsoever Mm. while at geese and you john picked a side in the whole lutheranism calvinism like in the whole whatever he aggressively defended traditional lutheranism against the pietists so the pietists are a splinter group from like that had broken off from before. And I'm not gonna go into pietism here. Um, What you need to know about it is that it's gross and it is definitely not orthodoxy for sure. Mm -hmm. It is definitely a departure from Lutheran orthodoxy. Okay. Okay, so when John graduated with his master's in theology in 1693, he had ticked off so many people that he wasn't offered a professorship. Surprise, surprise. Mm-hmm. I mean, it turns out academic politics haven't changed much. Mm-hmm. 
So he left there and he went to teach at the Imperial University of Strasbourg, which is in France. Now, Strasbourg is an interesting place. They awarded our buddy Paracelsus an honorary degree, which is oh. interesting. Yeah, there's Pat showing up again. Mm -hmm. John did a lot of lecturing there, kind of wherever he could get an audience. Like anyone who would listen to him, he would, he would put on a lecture for him. And he spoke on lots of different topics, theology, whatever. But they mentioned specifically that his astrology and chiromancy classes, lectures were popular. Mm. Um, yeah, I know. You're, if you're thinking out there, hmm, how, why is a man of a church talking about astrology and chiromancy? Good question. If you're not sure what those things are, astrology is what most people associate with horoscopes right? and telling, telling your fate. And chiromancy is palm, palmistry or reading palms. Although Jerry, uh, our buddy Jerry was supposedly a very devout Catholic for all his life, minus that one heresy thing that happened because he was cast in Jesus horoscope or whatever, but you know. I mean, but he I was casting he, Jesus horoscope, which tipped him over into heresy. So was it the horoscope or was it the, it was Jesus's? I don't know if we decided on that, but. I don't know if we know. But what's not really clear. Anyway. So, so the whole thing was a gray area and it might have been better to just stay away from the whole thing. But as we will find out, John had absolutely zero ability to not be ridiculous. Okay. Okay. So Strasbourg also was a hotspot for pietists who John had been totally dragging at Geese and You. Mm-hmm. Being nobody's fool, John got to Strasbourg and immediately started attacking traditional Lutheranism and declared himself a pietist. Why? Just to fit in? Yeah. Well, because okay. he did, just because he did what he wanted. Okay. And it was attacking. That's probably the right word for it. Pietists are usually, they're actually known for being very chill, very calm. But as we discussed, John had no chill. Instead of a measured calm approach to dealing with any opposition John just fought with like everybody and people on both sides of any debate that he was in were very upset by the whole thing hmm. so about this same time now the timeline here I had like four or five different sources and timelines are very confusing and there's some jumbling so I'm doing my best to tell this in chronological order mm -hmm. So this might have come later, it might have come now, but it was all about this time, okay? He got involved in a small scandalous brawl with a guy named Conrad Brusque. So here's the tea on that. John had written a pamphlet called The Scourging Papacy of the Protestants. Protestants. Conrad read it and was like, wow, this is super offensive. I'm gonna go ahead and not publish this. <laughs> and John got mad, mean tweets were sent, etc. There is a whole chapter of a book on this very specific subject that I could not get a hold of in time for this recording. So if I find out anything else about it, I will add it in an addendum and I'll let you know. But what I could what I could figure out from the sources that I had access to was it got pretty heated and John got himself in trouble, mm -hmm. which was not unusual, but this was more public than some of his other stuff. Because it's not that John had never published anything. It's not that he was trying and trying and trying to get this one thing published and couldn't. No, he published all the time. In fact, he ended up having to publish under the name Christianus Democritus. And many of those works don't even survive today. 
see, here's the thing. The church, as we know from people like Galileo, was pretty fussy about what people were writing about kind of any subject. And it was very easy to get labeled a heretic. Eventually they banned John from writing anything because they thought he was majorly a heretic. And so they said, you can't publish under this name. He said, fine, I'll publish under a different name. And he did. And that guy got labeled a heretic too. So it was kind of just going around. It got so far. That's interesting because the one, a couple of things I read made it sound like he gave himself that name because he wanted to kind of thumb his nose at people or, you know. Oh, it was definitely an up years to the church because they were, they said, you can't, you can't publish under your own name. And he said, cool, 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 cool. And picked that name specifically to continue to publish whatever he wanted. Democritus was the fifth fifth century fifth century greek i think mm-hmm. uh he's credited with the, being the father of modern well not modern father of atomic theory yes democritus might show up in a ba episode hmm. might just might he's uh somewhere on my list i think so john is publishing all kinds of things and it got so far at one point that the church was like you know what we're done with you for a minute we're just gonna go ahead and put you in a timeout." and he spent seven years in prison for heresy did he actually spend all those years? In yes, prison? this was one of the times where he actually spent all of that time in prison because all of the other times he gets put in prison for long times, he gets out within like a year. And, and I say all of because it happened repeatedly. We'll get to that. But this time he, he served nearly all of that sentence. Okay. Okay, so I, as I said, I don't know the particulars, but Conrad, who had refused to publish this paper and it caused a small fight and there was a scandal and whatever, he might have had a point because it seems like John wrote what was considered heretic, her, heretical things. It's hard to say. A Lutheran historian kind of summed it up in this way. And he said, quote, one is doubtful whether to place him, Johann, in the class of pietists or rationalists, of enthusiasts or of scoffers, of mystics or of free thinkers. So it seems that he got a reputation for being kind of all over the place. Not, I mean, intellectually all over the place. Eventually he was physically all over the place. He ended up being a bit of a nomad a la Paracelsus. So, and we're coming to that. Because John only stayed in Strasbourg for about two years. It wasn't just that everyone was thoroughly sick of him after two years, although they were for sure sick of him after two years, but he had to flee because of some trouble with the law. It appears he killed a man in a duel. Interesting. We, we don't know what they were dueling about. We don't know who he dueled. We have no particulars, but the sources that I read said he got tagged for a duel, had to flee. He went back to Giessen, back toward his hometown, wherever. Okay. So that's not great. But this is also when some weird whispers began to circulate about our buddy John. Did he really leave because there was a duel or was there a hushed up incident involving John stealing bodies from a local cemetery to experiment on? Hmm. At this point, I think the stories are just rumors, but I don't know because this is not the only time that these rumors will come up about John. They come up again later. Okay. So just put that in your satchel that John was accused of stealing bodies from cemeteries and experimenting on them. Okay. Okay. 
no matter what he did, he's back home, he's out of a job, and he needs something to do. He decides alchemy is the way to go. And I'm not going to talk a whole bunch about this because this is kind of intersecting with Brynn's science, and I'm going to let her take mm -hmm. over from here. But here is what you need to know from this section. He and a landowner, local landowner, get into it in a big way about just how good of an alchemist John happens to be. Spoiler alert, he's not as good as he thinks. <laughs> yeah. And so drama ensues, as it often does with John. And literally everything went wrong. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. So the end result is that John was majorly unpopular with the landowner. So he pieced out of there and kind of just traveled like a nomad, again, a la Paracelsus, for the next 25 years. Mm -hmm. So John's wandering around. And mm -hmm. I'm going to skip a lot of this part too, because again, Brynn is going to talk about kind of what he was doing on some of these wanderings. But I do want to mention at least one event that occurred during these wandering years. Um, he was accused of being a spy for the King of Sweden. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So uh, the details are fuzzy here, but here's what I could get. Turns out he looked exactly like a guy who was for real a spy for the King of Sweden. But were John Sweden was... and Germany fighting? Possibly. It's complicated. Okay. Because Germany didn't exist like we think it of it at this point. I don't I, I don't want to get into the geopolitics of the late 16, early 1700s. So maybe Germany was active up in the Baltic Sea by... Could have been because okay. eventually Denmark... Okay. We'll yeah. All right. yeah, all right. Okay. Okay. We know that John is pathologically incapable of not being a jerk. Like, mm -hmm. he has to be a jerk. So he didn't have a lot of friends or defenders. So when someone accused him of being a spy... He didn't have anyone saying, come on, like he's innocent. He didn't have friends. He didn't have defenders. He, he didn't have anybody saying that he was totally just like leave him alone. He's totally fine. So he got thrown in jail for a bit. Hmm. Now the guy he was working for in Berlin, his patron in Berlin got him out, mm -hmm. but John decided he was done with that whole mess. So he settled, left Berlin and settled in Holland. Mm -hmm. This whole move to a place, make some money, tick people off, get thrown in jail, get out and leave cycle is going to be a theme for John for the next couple of decades of his life. He just like, it keeps happening and happening oh. and happening. He made enemies all, all over Europe. One okay. particularly, I, I don't want to say famous, but perhaps notable guy is a guy named Emmanuel Swendenberg who is a Swedish theologian and semi-scientist. He doesn't do enough scientist, science to be like a BA for us, but mm -hmm. I looked him up and he did, he did some like odds and ends. Okay. He was initially a follower of John's and a huge supporter. He was basically a disciple of our buddy John. But let me give you an idea of where Emmanuel ended up with regard to John. Okay. Quote, he is a most vile devil who attempted wicked things. He is bound to no principles and was in general opposed to all, whoever they may be of whatever principle or faith, becoming angry with anyone for con contradicting him, end quote. Hmm. It's a big change. Big change. So John sounds like a jerk. He just hmm. really does. Emmanuel even called him a cultish opportunist who used his charismatic personality to get people's money. So a in what way? 
Was he a cultish opportunist who used yeah. his care? I think that some of the science that you're going to talk about will answer that question because some of the things that he made perhaps weren't as effective as he wanted them to be. And he just lied to people about it and took their money. I don't want to say too much and spoil your surprise. Okay. Well, I don't know. I don't get that, but all right. Well, what I do know is that Emmanuel was not the only person to say this. A lot of people chimed in with the, oh, he was a shyster kind of feeling. Okay. So he had a reputation. That's what I'm saying. So while he's in Holland, I'm not going to go into all the details here because again, they're a little bit fuzzy, but another, another event happened much like when he was in Berlin he ticked off some people who were politically powerful and ended up in jail again and this time the queen of Denmark let him out and then he went over to Sweden okay and this was in about 1726 John was like in his 50s at this point he spent three years in Sweden and once again got accused of being a spy but but not for Sweden he was in Sweden no, but he got accused of being a spy again for someone else. Oh, someone else. Okay. And I just would like to say that if he really was a spy, he was the worst spy ever because everyone was already like, if you're a spy, you don't want people saying you're a spy. That means you're not doing a good job. <laughs> so True. if he was a spy, he was absolutely terrible. And if he wasn't, why are you being so creepy? Like, stop it. I don't know. I just, I just, he's just ridiculous. <laughs> he left. Sweden at this point, settled back home in Germany. It's about 1729, goes back near Castle Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. Immediately started making enemies and he started receiving what we would think of as death threats. Why? Because he liked to fight with people. I think that that's the most important part of Emmanuel's quote. It's like John just liked to go places and start stuff. Hmm. He, because he wasn't really a pietist but he said he was so that he could take off the Lutherans. He wasn't, he just liked to fight. He was combative and argumentative and pathologically incapable of being a nice guy. All right. Apparently. So he immediately started making enemies and getting death threats. I mean, that's just what would naturally happen. And he was there for a little while, but you know, these were happening. These death threats were happening with more and more frequency. People were not happy with him. Hmm. So I would be worried if my neighbors were threatening my person, I would, I would have concerns. I would maybe calm down or stop, you know, whatever. No, not John. No, 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 absolutely not. John said that he had just found the formula for an elixir that would extend his life and he would die at the ripe old age of 135 years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, in a moment of intense irony, John died about a year after making that claim. He was not, in fact, 135. No. It was in 1734, and people suspected that it was a stroke. Now, here's the thing about that. Was it actually a stroke? They did open him up, opening up his head after he died. Like they did, I wouldn't call it an autopsy, but at the time, that's kind of what it would have been. Mm -hmm. And they poked around and settled on stroke. Now, the more fanciful peasants thought the devil had killed him for breaking a contract. Well, you know, maybe he didn't give him his white horse back. 
if he had given him something on loan, like a white devil horse and not given it back, I can see how Satan would have been, excuse me, and required his soul immediately. Okay, that's, that I, okay, I can get behind that. More realistic people were pretty sure that he had either accidentally poisoned himself with all of his weird experiments, or he had been poisoned by one of his legion enemies, and it had caused the brain bleed or some kind of apoplexy, quote unquote. Hmm. Of the research that I read, a lot of people are leaning heavily toward the someone poisoned him theory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he was buried, not sure where, because apparently his remains have disappeared. So oh, that's weird. It's very weird. And I don't like it. It was unsettling. That unsettling. He had siblings though, and they like lived in the area. I wonder yeah. if they like took it and like hit him so people wouldn't mess with him if people wanted to mess with his remains so much as he was messing with other people's remains because we need to we need to at least touch on that because that kind of all brings me back to where I started John was weird he did weird stuff he did weird science as Brenna will tell us and he led a weird life I saved the weirdest part for right here though because I've been talking all around castle frankenstein this whole time like it's no big deal and i know you're all thinking are we gonna deal with that yes yes we are we're gonna deal with it right now a lot of john's life was rumor and legend one of the more unsettling legends is that john experimented with transferring souls between cadavers he certainly mentioned it in some of his surviving writings but not in a i tried this and here are my results kind of way he just mentioned that it seemed like you could do it and he thought that a funnel would need to be used which could you elaborate at all because I feel like use a funnel to switch souls between bodies is a super vague way to write up a lab report I'm just saying like if I was grading that lab report he'd get an f like that's not enough information for me to repeat your result okay (laughs) it's very unclear whether or not he actually did try it because so many of his writings are lost Like, especially during the wars, when there was a lot of fighting in Germany, a lot of stuff just got destroyed and and his writings were among those. Yeah, Darmstadt, when Darmstadt got bombed like crazy by the Allies, it basically destroyed everything. It did. So that's kind of why we don't know too much. We do know that he, one of his enemies was one of the local pastors and he was fighting or feuding with, probably because of heresy. If I had to make a wild guess I would say it was probably heresy that got John in trouble with the local pastor and the pastor accused John of grave robbing and experimenting on cadavers now John didn't do a lot to refute this as far as I can find but that was the pattern with him people said all kinds of wild things about him and he just never corrected anybody I don't think he cared what anybody said Mm -hmm. so did John steal bodies and try to resurrect them? Because soul transference is revivification. It's bringing people back to life. That's weird and scary and gross. Did he piece bodies back together and try his hand at actually bringing someone back to life? I don't know. It's murky. So why don't we let Brenna discuss some of John's science now? The good, the bad, and the BS, all of it. If there's any good of it, I don't know. And then in our last segment, 
I will give you a little teaser about these body reanimation rumors because we got to talk about a lady named Mary Shelley. So let's take a quick break and uh, we'll get to that, that BS science. Okay, Brenna, we need to take a minute to tell everybody about Proton Guru and the MCAT ladder. Yeah, we definitely do. It's really great. The whole idea of Proton Guru is academic accessibility. So at protonguru.com, you can find a free full organic chemistry course, a free MCAT organic course, and diversity modules related to organic chemistry. The cool new thing that just got added might be the best part, though. It's called MCAT Ladder, and it's an MCAT test prep course like no other. It's prepared by a group of passionate faculty who really wanted to keep costs low. The big thing about the program, though, is how thorough it is with exceptional concept explanations and visual learning, plus questions that are challenging like real MCAT questions. The MCAT ladder is only $500. And if that's not enough, they have a scholarship program, too. So go on over to ProtonGuru.com and check out all the amazing stuff that's there. With MCAT ladder, it's all about reaching down to help others climb up, which is a very badass thing to do. So I really did leave a lot of blanks in John's life. And I alluded to a lot of odds and ends when I was talking about his life. So Brenna, let's hear about what John did or did not do for the world of science and go ahead and fill in some of those gaps. Okay. I mean, we've already talked about it. I just want to say there's, there's kind of a lot of mystery around who I, the man I like to call JK. Um, and I read different accounts of things and a few resources I had. So it was a little hard to tell, like the stories are, are different enough that it's hard to say that one has to be right. Or I, it was just kind of hard. So anyway, I'm going to just hop on the speculation and spreading the mystery train and ride that all the way to the station. Just so you know, I love it. I'm here for okay. it. Cause that's what I'm going to do in our last segment. Okay. Well, I think so today to me, it's, this is a very interesting episode because I thought initially before I started research, I thought I'd be talking about a very different subject from what I'm actually talking about, partly by choice, but also partly because some of, to me, the BS of this story is that people I think made stuff up about him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have maybe different thoughts than you do, but we'll get to that. Oh, yeah, but we'll I'm going to talk that. about his science slash alchemy and, you know, whatever. So like all the other BAs we've talked about who were practicing alchemists, there's still some pretty bad science going on because transmutation is definitely not a thing, but I don't know, like that doesn't make him like a crappy human being. So anyway, okay. So I'm going to talk transmutation in the philosopher's stone. I got to talk about something called Dipple's oil and I got to talk about something called Prussian blue. Okay. Sounds so good. those are kind of what I'm going to attack. Okay. So as we have discussed before, because we have discussed alchemy. Alchemists were super focused on the idea of transmutation and finding the philosopher's stone so that they could turn base metals like lead, silver, and so forth into gold, Mm -hmm. okay? And they also usually were of the idea that the philosopher's stone could also be used to make an elixir of life, Mm -hmm. right? Okay. Okay. So JK also big into all that, okay? Yeah. So as Maggie mentioned, he was living in Giessen, and he's like hyping up his ability to transmute base metals into gold. And he must have sold it well because he does get enough credit to secure a property from the aforementioned landowner that you discussed. Yes. 
but I actually read some different stories here about what happened. Um, so in one story, he spends eight months heating his metal mm -hmm. and then the crucible he was using cracked. Oh, and no. he lost all the stuff that was supposedly going to be gold. And then he had to bounce because he didn't make that gold that he promised his creditors and landowner and whatever. And they were like, where's my money? And he was like, okay, bye. Yeah, okay, bye. bye. <laughs> Another source I read said that he claimed he mixed equal parts of silver and mercury with philosopher's stone because he apparently had also discovered that. I don't know. And that he okay. got very pure gold. And I'm not sure if this is true because I didn't like, again, I didn't really look into it, but um, supposedly alchemists were not supposed to use their alchemy for their own personal gain. Yeah, um, I read I read somewhere too that they had this like code. And okay, which is, which is basically what JK was doing then if he was making all this gold for his own profit. Yes, so, so that would have been maybe, a violation. So he maybe bought his estate with his magic gold. And then he was punished by, I don't know, the alchemy gods. I don't know, because the Devil. jar containing the philosopher's stone broke and his secret formula was lost and he couldn't ever make it again. Oh, no. I mean, do I think he actually transmuted gold or metal into gold? No. But like, do I think that maybe somehow he did make money in some way or get gold in some way and then try to pawn, like, you know, pawn it off as like, oh, I made this gold you know i don't know i really don't know mm -hmm. but anyway um as you mentioned he had to leave yeah. it was time for him to go to go so he moved on to other things and then he created an oil which he didn't exactly call the elixir of life but he did promote it as a cure-all so i mean I mean, I guess I can see where the, oh, he was a charlatan kind of came in, but because he did promote it as a cure-all, but I have some interesting things to tell you about Dipple's oil. Oh, okay. Dipple's oil was in fact used for centuries in medicine. So, um, it could, like I mean, successfully used, I didn't look into this. Um, so there's, there's, I think it does a couple things actually, but I don't recommend it, but let's just talk about the oil. Okay. okay. So Dipple's oil was distilled animal parts basically hot so dogs? like what hot mm, dogs? no like leather blood ivory horns stuff like that yuck yeah uh it sounds super gross because um in distillation you heat up your big flask or whatever of uh, whatever you're using right mm -hmm. and you have this big old flask of ye old animal parts and then you wait for some of the chemicals in it to boil up and you collect that oil goo stuff um, but I read that distillation of animal junk really wasn't unheard of or even uncommon at the time. Like people, other people did this, oh. but apparently, I don't know, whatever ratio of blood to horns to hair or whatever was in there was just right to be JK's special oil. So, um, I read it was like a dark, viscous, tar-like, foul, foul-smelling, no kidding, foul-smelling substance. Um, I don't know how it was administered to people really, but, but yuck. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to ingest it, nor do I want to smear it on something. I don't want to smear it on. I don't want to ingest it. I, I don't know. So in medicine, it was used as a diaphoretic, um, that makes you sweat. Um, and it was said to, I believe, stimulate the muscles, contract muscles. I don't know. It did actually like do something. But it was also used as an insect repellent. Um, I think they used it on animals too. It would be a person repellent. Well, I, would yeah. anywhere, I wouldn't come anywhere near that. 
So anyway, so it was used for a while. Okay, so it was used in World War II in the desert campaign. So Dipple's oil was used as, as kind of a chemical war, uh, warfare agent. Oh. So they would coat the inside of wells in the desert with it. And then the dark color and the smell and just the nastiness of it in general basically made the water undrinkable. <gasps> but because it was not actually lethal, like people did ingest this stuff and they didn't die from it. Oh. It was ruled to not be a breach of the Geneva Protocol interesting because that's what I was just going to ask you I was like wait a minute are we going to talk about Geneva here because yeah. that feels like but so since it wasn't actually fatal it just made you think it was gross it made well it made it so that they couldn't get water but it didn't technically I mean so they might have run out of like drinkable water but it didn't technically kill them Wow, that's a fine well, line. That's a I don't know. Yeah. Line. Anyway, apparently it was not a breach of the Geneva Protocol. But I mean, that was, you know, not that long ago no. that Dipple's oil was actually used. Um, so later on, I guess, obviously, I don't know when, I don't know when this was, but, um, you know, better instrumentation, analytic techniques, so forth, chem or scientists did look into the chemicals found in the oil. Mm -hmm. And one of my sources has like a full list, but Essentially, I mean, and this makes sense. It's a lot of nitrogen-containing chemicals. Um, when you break down animal goo, um, you got a lot of nitrogenous compounds because people are a lot of, like, there's a lot of amino acids are carbon, oxygen, and nitrogen, essentially. There's other things. There can be a few other atoms, but like amino acids, which are like all your proteins that make yeah. up your body. Uh, amino acid, amino, you got nitrogen there. So, I mean, it makes sense mm -hmm. that you get a lot of nitrogenous compounds out of, you know, boiling off animal goo sure so you know you got nitriles nitriles pyrrole aniline and so forth found fun fact though supposedly it also contains pyridine um pyridine pyridine all in all is just like not good for anybody but guys out there listening do not mess with pyridine okay just google it if you want to know more because we are keeping this family friendly but do not mess with pyridine Okay. Ooh, that's a major yikes. Okay. So also, I don't know if this episode's family friendly. I mean, like we're talking about a guy maybe reanimating people's. Yeah, I don't know. Depends on your again, version of family. I don't know if I don't know if it violates the Geneva Protocol, but we're on a we're on a fine line. But yeah, but still so, anyway, kind of interesting. Okay. So it was kind um, of snake oil because it wasn't a cure-all, but it, it wasn't, wasn't a cure-all. But I mean the fact that it existed that long means that somebody felt it was worth keeping around it's not like we were using leeches in the 1940s not in the same way that they did for well, right right yeah you're right so no, i don't know like okay. other other okay. remedies by that point had died out because they were found to not be i'm not saying that this stuff is good or good for i know you. i know but i'm saying where i'm trying to figure out where the bs is here the bs is is, is that it's in a cure-all because it's not but yeah, it has not. some uses and we used it until recently. So that's, yeah. that's fine. All right. So let's discuss JK's potential contribution to the discovery of Prussian blue. We're going to talk a lot about this. Um, probably going to spend more time on this than I even did with Dipple's oil because it's just really interesting. And there's a good chance that this is actually not going to involve him whatsoever. But I read an account that it, could have involved him so i'm gonna go with that it did okay because i i i heard that he worked with someone else and he is one of the dudes who came up with prussian blue 
Okay, so there's a debate about whether the following story is true. Ooh, but controversy. Again, okay. You know, like I like it, so I'm gonna go with it. Okay. If Wikipedia does not give um like if you look up Prussian blue, mm-hmm. it will just give credit to Johann Jakob Diesbach. Okay. And then it might say, Oh, there's rumors that J JK Dippel was involved, but that that's probably not true. Okay. So, but I'm going to just pretend like it's true because it's interesting. Okay. Okay. So JK had to get out of Gießen and he was in Berlin and he was working in the same lab as Diesbach. Mm-hmm. And Diesbach was making cochineal lake, which is, it's a red pigment and you get it. Well, they did then. I doubt they do it now, but you get it from smooshing up a bunch of beetles or um, they're insects. I think oh. they're like a beetle, right? I don't know. Anyway. So you like smush them all up and then you react them with stuff and boil them and whatever. So Diesbach has this big old vat and he needs some potash, which is potassium carbonate. And I guess, so the story is is like, oh, he like ran out of his own potash. So he grabbed some of JK's potash because they were working in the same lab. Well, JK's potash was apparently like recycled from making Dipple's oil. So it would have been contaminated with all that animal goo yeah. and blood and whatnot. Okay. So Diesbach adds the potash and basically his stuff doesn't turn red like it's supposed to. It turned a really deep blue. Oh. So possibly if any of the, you know, attempts to contribute or attribute this to JK is true. It's like, JK was like, oh my gosh, that's awesome. And I'm going to figure out why that happened. And then we'll make it easier to repeat this. And Prussian blue will be a thing. Um, so Prussian blue does become like the thing for turning stuff blue, which I think it was called Berlin blue first because they were in Berlin. Sure. But it becomes Prussian blue, um, which I'll talk about in just a second. But here's the deal about blue dye. Okay. okay. At this time, you would have had a couple options if you wanted to turn something blue or were trying to turn something blue. Okay. You could have used azurite, but that turned green in water. So that's not ideal. No. You have indigo, but that's not color fast. Well, I mean, I guess today it probably is because you can use chemicals to make it color fast. But like if you just found your own indigo and like dyed some stuff with it and only use the indigo without like a color fasting or anything like that, like it's going to fade. Yes. And then you had ultramarine, which I did not know was made from crushed lapis lazuli. Oh, wow. Which makes it super expensive. Unbelievably expensive. Because it's not like you just got a bunch of lapis lazuli, like just hanging out all over the place to crush up. No, you don't. Well, yeah. blue dye, blue dye is tough in general. And I, maybe you'll talk about this. Blue but things are tough in general. Blue LED lights are tough, it's, are more difficult. Blue is just hard. It's blue is really hard. And the reason I know this from personal experience is that I have, if any, for those of you who know me or have seen an actual picture of me, I have bright purple hair, bright, vividly, noticeably purple hair. Mm-hmm. Before I settled on the kind of dye that I'm currently using, the first color to fade out of purple is blue. Hmm. So if, and I also, I like when I'm making icing and I have to make it blue or mm-hmm. purple, nope, it fades to red almost immediately. That mm-hmm. you are going to lose the blue out of something hmm. quicker than anything else. It is the hardest color to make stick around, to dye something. 
and and like you'll notice in nature not a lot of stuff is blue blue is tough yeah so this dye though becomes prussian blue because the prussian soldiers uniforms were dyed with it oh and then like one article commented it was ironic that the soldiers uniforms were a mix of blood and iron okay why am i talking about iron oh so to make cautionial lake you use green vitriol which is iron sulfate Mm -hmm. so like both of those things would have been in the first accident batch of prussian blue because you had the the blood and animal goo yeah from jk's potash and then you had iron sulfate in um the mixture as well yeah so you know haha ironic okay whatever i think that was like an art article or something but anyway because you know you know it, like feel, it. it feels like yeah. it Okay, so let's detour about Prussian blue a little bit more. So today it's obviously not made with animal blood and That's beetles or good. whatever, right? Um, it's a chemical determined finally in the 1970s that is called iron, well, iron 2,3-hexacyanoferrate 2,3 by IUPAC, but IUPAC is the people who make up the rules for all the naming stuff, but yeah. it could be called ferric ferrocyanide, ferric hexacyanoferrate too, like uh, it's got some names. Anyway, a um, lot of iron and cyanide, cyano groups, okay? Okay. Um, but whatever, for whatever reason, that gives you this blue color and whatever. Um, but in addition to being used for dyeing soldiers' uniforms, um, it's a pigment used in paints. Um, it's what makes blueprints blue or traditionally was what made blueprints blue. Oh, yeah. So um, now our friend Carl Scheel, if you remember, I do. first isolated and characterized pure Prussic acid, mm -hmm. which happened when he diluted the Prussian blue with sulfuric acid. And we yes. definitely talked about that because it's super deadly. And like, you know, the movies in the movies, the spy who gets caught does the cyanide pill and yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Prussic acid. Anyway. What I um, didn't know is that Prussian blue also has medicinal uses. Oh. So it can actually be an antidote for certain heavy metal poisoning. Thallium and cesium were the examples that I read. But Whoa. it works because the compound can basically exchange ions to take up the heavy metals. Like it gives up the yeah. iron and takes up the heavy metal or the, the thallium, the cesium. Thallium or cesium, yeah. Wow. And according to Wikipedia, it is actually on the WHO's list of essential medicines, which wasn't one of James White Black's drugs on there. I think so. Yeah, that's crazy. So, right? Yeah. So it is actually on the list of essential medicines, which I did not go down a rabbit hole to look into like thallium and cesium poisoning and how like important and frequent and how often that happens. But I guess it must be important. Um, apparently you can eat up to like 10 grams of it a day and it'd be safe, but um, the FDA says 500 milligram Prussian blue capsules can be safe and effective therapy for some poisoning cases. Wow. So I didn't know that. Actual, you can actually get Prussian blue capsules as a, as a like drug. Wow. That's so cool. Another cool thing about Prussian blue. I know this has nothing to do with JK, but this was really cool. Um, and I never thought about it. You can use it or it can be used to detect art for forgeries. Because Prussian blue wasn't discovered until 1704. So if a painting is supposedly from an earlier date, but they find Prussian blue as the pigment, yeah. then they know it's a fake. Forgery, for sure. Oh, I know. Yeah. If chemistry professor doesn't work out for me, I think it'd be fun to be the person that uses chemistry to determine art forgeries. I think that you would be awesome at that job. Except Completely. for it gives me a little bit of... Um, 
Moriarty vibes from the Sherlock Holmes element elementary <laughs> Sherlock Holmes. That's really funny because that's the first thing that I thought of. I was but also psycho. it'd be kind of cool. It would be very I'm cool. Not a psychopath like Moriarty. You're not, so. but you're not going to be doing the forgeries. Right, right. I wouldn't be trying to do to use it. if you're going to be a chemist who uses it for good of yeah. chemical paints and the chemical yeah. makeup of paints, you know, you got to use it to detect forgeries, not to make them. That's, you know, that's our official position, I would say. It'd be fun. Um, and then one last thing about Prussian blue, the Crayola crayon we know as midnight blue used to be called Prussian blue. But really? I read an anecdote or this like little story, like supposedly teachers were tired of explaining what Prussia was to students. <laughs> so Crayola yeah. changed the name in 1958. I did not fact check this, but I really, I think I read that on Wikipedia, but I really hope it's true because that's a fun story that like a bunch of teachers were just like, oh, why are they always asking us who, what Prussia is? Because by that point, like Prussia wasn't a thing. Right. And so was it, what, Germany, did like a so. teacher's union get together or a couple of teacher's unions get together and say, dear Mr. Crayola? <laughs> yeah. Like, I, 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 you know, can I see the letter? I want to know. Yeah, I don't know. So that's a big long detour about Prussian blue, but potentially, we don't even know for sure, potentially JK had a role kind of in helping uh, develop that. So yeah. Cool. Um, so that honestly is kind of the end of scientific contributions that I'm going to talk about from J.K. Dippel. And when we look at this body of work for J.K., like when we look at just what I talked about, like it doesn't really seem that bad, right? Like alchemy is silly because you can't, again, transmutation, not a thing. But like in these contexts, like he's not, he's doing anything weird. He's just kind of being an alchemist, being a doctor mm -hmm. and whatever. So I have some more to say about the other rumors and BS potentially or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I know you do too. So I don't know if this is a good time to break and kind of get into our thoughts about it. Yeah, that's a, this is a good time. Let's take a break now because you've, you've thoroughly covered, you know, some, some solid scientific-y things. Let's get into, let's get into the BS after the break. Okay. So... It is BS week. We have some BS that we probably need to touch on because this is normally the time when we would talk about legacy. What did what did we learn from this person? Why are they a BA? Whatever. But John is not a BA. He's a joke. He's got some BS. So we need to address it. I mean, what are the rumors? What do we think? All that kind of thing. The only thing that I can say, like I, the only thing that I could say before we get into all that is that did you know that the lab that he set up near Wittgenstein was eventually converted into, converted into a pub that's named Dippelshof? Um, no, because I read that his brother owned something that was called that. Well, yeah, it was converted into a pub and now it's an inn that you can stay in. Hmm. If you Google it, that tells you like, oh, you can trip advisor, blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah. Mm, okay. So yeah, very cool. cool. So, so, but let's get into the real BS of all of it. What are you, what are your thoughts? Well, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know that we're on, I feel like you and I have a very different impression. So, okay. I watched a TV show. Um, I'll talk about in sources, but um, I wanted to share a quote and mm -hmm. there was a woman named Dr. Krista Habrick. And she said in an, in, in an interview in the show, 
There was much said about Dipple, which was not true, and he was not a devil or not a mysterious person. He was mostly a very intelligent, logical thinking man. I mean, okay, so I do think that maybe he had the, you know, that philosophy or had an idea of like, you could you do soul transfers and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But honestly, like, from what I could, from what I read, like, soul transference was kind of like a concept like a topic of the time like it's mm-hmm. not like he wasn't the only one thinking about it no that's true that is true like, it was it was popular it was popular thought like if you watch that the show that I watched like to me he seems kind of mild compared to the guy who like literally started the whole like galvanism thing and like really creep like really creepy things like s- just sick and stomach turnings just gross stuff okay um he did write maladies and remedies of the life of the flesh wherein he discussed you know his theories on animal oil um with a mention of the possibility of using it to exercise demons which i don't know is holy water not good enough um but okay so i mean weird but um even within that it sounds like there wasn't anything that indicated he was in fact trying this out like you said it's not like he it's his lab report is like today i tried to transfer souls like right so I think we know that he was interested in the mechanism and functioning of limbs and how limbs and muscles are attached to the body and so forth. Um, But we're in a period of time when they aren't doing surgeries and they aren't, they don't have the same kinds of resources to know this stuff. So how do you get knowledge without experimentation? So Mm -hmm. he did practice vivisection, which is when you experiment like living animals, like what Vivian Thomas would do with the dogs. Right. And so, you know how we feel about vivisection, but like, um, he would try to, you know, do research, I guess you're not going to start cutting open people. So if you're curious about how limbs and muscles and all these things work, like what else are you going to do? So I don't know. I mean, to me, it's kind of like, well, something had to be done. And also it's not like, okay, I don't know if he was a grave robber. I really don't. But grave robbing also, like body, like robbing bodies from graves, also not unheard of. And we've talked about this in Galileo's episode, like a lot of the doctors or the teacher professors who taught medicine at what Pisa U or wherever he was, like they would donate their bodies because it's not like getting access to a dead body is easy if you're trying to do research. Right. So, I mean, it's still, it's still not a good thing to like go steal people's bodies. Cause like relatives would like their loved ones to just, you know, Rest. be left alone, you yeah. know, like if they didn't yeah. donate them to science, like don't go get them and cut them up. Sure. But I just don't think, I don't know. I just don't think it was as nefarious as what he gets a reputation for. And I, I mean, I think he was a jerk and I think maybe a bit of a, like obviously overstated his abilities, Yeah, but I don't know that he was as much, I don't know if he was as creepy as maybe he gets a reputation for. And I, I can't remember where I read it. I, someone made a point though, that history is generally written by those in power, right? And at this time in history, it would have been academics mm-hmm. and the clergy who would have been the ones with a lot of power. And they hated his guts. Clergy didn't like him because of his theology or whatever that was. 
And he ticked off all the professors all, the, all over the place. So academics didn't really like him. He was arrogant, didn't want to deal with him. Mm-hmm. Um, it was also actually suggested they knew they weren't intellectually capable of de- debating with him. Mm-hmm. So they just marred his reputation. Sure. Um, so I, I don't know. It was a weird one for me because the whole bringing bodies back to life and all that stuff, it, cre- it creeps me out. It creeps me out so bad. Like I had to fast forward through the show that I was talking about for most of it because I was so disturbed and also felt physically ill because I'm apparently more queasy about things than I realized. <laughs> so it's awful and horrible and whatever. But I just am not convinced from what we do know about him that he was really that awful I really I'm just not sure and there's no way to know because like we mentioned like all his stuff is basically like burned and destroyed like we don't just don't have his stuff like we don't have writings we don't have a lot of his work to look at Mm -hmm. so we only have bits and pieces and then we have whatever the locals and the peasants and the clergy who he ticked off were saying you know what I mean yeah so my kind of takeaway is that a little bit he was you know he was full of bs obviously because (laughs) what you talked about but like maybe a lot of the bs for me in this episode is that he does get this reputation for being that horrible when we don't know really and there's not anything that's going to strongly suggest it and there's not anything I, i yeah i don't know so that's kind of my thoughts on it but i think that's different from kind of how you see him and interpret him so it's really not okay okay when I when I come down to the end of the day on this he was full of bs he just was he was like when he was an old paracelsus level jerk he was paracelsus level and and that's the thing if you compare him side by side with paracelsus like I don't believe in reincarnation but I'm gonna tell you what they feel like the same dude sometimes in just all of the stories about them and the way they live their lives and their personality, all of it. There, there are yeah. so many parallels, just again, major Paracelsus vibes through this whole, this guy's whole life. Mm-hmm. Sure. So that's, but we didn't label Paracelsus as BS. Right. There was, there has to be something that flipped that switch for, and people in general, because in general, the writings about Paracelsus are like, when you're talking about no it was was he a devil worshiper it's a rumor it's it's not as sinister well they awarded him honorary degrees and there was the paracelsian theory and like i mean yeah his name gets used kind of beyond his time so well and dipple was a follower of paracelsian mm-hmm. uh philosophy and all that kind of thing so he was very aware of paracelsus too which i thought was interesting but he what what about dipple made made it turn sinister what about the way that people saw him made it into something that because it's there's a there's a big creep factor with Mm -hmm. dipple and i think i think really it is about the the rumors about the way he experimented on living things and on human cadavers. I really think that that's what changed it because we don't hear a lot about Paracelsus doing that kind of stuff. Right. So because through time, whether or not you're allowed to cut open a human body, it comes in cycles. There was a very long period of time. Paracelsus just, you know, 
developed his ideas of dosing by just trying out doses on people, which I guarantee you a lot of that was not the right dose. So I'm sure that in terms of medical ethics, that would be frowned upon now for sure. But he didn't dig up somebody and shoot him full of electricity to see what happened. But also, I don't think JK did. And I'm not sure that he did either. Now we know that he experimented with some galvanism. We there is some of that, but not. I don't think to the like because I, I, I never read anything anywhere that he experimented with it at all. In I'm not doubting, I'm just curious. In a book I read called I think it was Frankenstein and Other Man-Made Monsters by Bob Curran. Okay, that whole thing is about it's a very interesting book and I won't go into all of it here and I'll tell you why in a minute but in that book there there was stronger evidence at the time I think that's where I, I think that I really feel like that's where I read it there was stronger evidence at the time that that was a thing that he was going to do mm-hmm. even if he wasn't the rumor that he was would have been enough to make him a pariah because right. it, from religious circles and even scientific circles cutting on a human doing things with human bodies or cadavers was not in any way culturally acceptable at the time so I think that even the suggestion even the hint the whiff of experimenting on human bodies as cadavers we're talking about dead bodies here that was enough to make him sinister or a bad guy in a lot of people's minds whereas pat who that of all of the rumors we heard about pat he didn't muck around in dead bodies so he didn't get the same kind of whatever so i've done some extra research on this because i am doing a bonus episode on it Mm -hmm. and the reason that he possibly still to this day gets a spooky reputation is because of his association with Castle Frankenstein and the fact that Mary Shelley, who I mentioned at the end of my segment, uh, Mary, Mary Shelley is the woman who wrote um, Frankenstein or the modern Prometheus is what it's called. And it's, it's a spooky, scary horror book. It's, I don't know if she officially gets credit for starting the genre of science fiction, hmm. but she wrote the first science fiction book and it was Frankenstein. Um, side note, have you read about her and her life and her husband and the things that were going on in her family? Holy moly, that was a hot mess. Actually, yes, that's what I'll be, that's some of the stuff that I'm going to be covering in my oh. bonus episode because she wasn't a scientist, so we can't cover her she's not in our purview here look y'all go subscribe to patreon because if you want a story about scandal and oh my goodness drama drama times 10 lots of scandals lots of drama and lighting with people you have heard of like famous people it's oh her parentage her oh it was just relatives was oh my god another sister who was it anyway anyway there was a lot of bizarro very bizarro things going on in that family for sure and she took a trip with her husband to the Rhineland and she was in this area and 
there were rumors that she would have, I mean, she would have been able to see Castle Frankenstein. It's up on a gigantic hill. It's a huge castle up there. So she would have been in the area and Dipple's oil was a thing. She would have heard about it. So I have a whole bunch of details on that. And so in my bonus episode, I'm going to cover Mary Shelley and her a a brief life story of her i'm basically going to spill all of the tea yeah it's very spicy i'm going to spill all the tea about it and about what was going on with her and i'm going to cover how we got the legend of the legend of frankenstein and dipple versus what the actual history probably is because again i come down more with you i think he was full i think he was full of crap I think he was a jerk. I think he was a cantankerous, you know, argumentative, whatever. But was he like a super sinister bad guy that did really disgusting concerning science? I don't know. I really don't. I really don't think so. I don't think he was. I think the real BS here is that he gets painted as a super sinister guy when he probably wasn't. And it's probably Mary Shelley's fault. It might be, uh, but the brothers Grimm also factor into it. There's mm-hmm. a oh yes, oh it's an and oh you know yeah okay I think that was part of part of the show I watched. We talked about that a little bit too. Yeah. yeah, it's all in there, and so yeah. So so anyway, if you have not subscribed to Patreon, go do it immediately. If for nothing else, you will get a, every penny of your money's worth for the bonus episode on Mary Shelley and and the other bonus episodes that you've missed and and yeah because you've already missed two so this will be this will be another one and then Britta's got a couple more coming then I've got another one for Mm -hmm. a later episode so you don't want to miss them especially this one if you're into monsters and horror and creepy stuff and awesome writing ladies who had absolutely wild life stories because guys yikes yeah Yeah, like major yikes okay (laughs) so so yeah so I think so I I really do feel like we come down on the same side of it okay that you know the bs here is that he probably shouldn't have such a bad reputation but maybe if he was a little bit nicer to people it wouldn't happen I'm just saying yeah true so let that be a lesson to you (laughs) all right so should we talk about sources? Sure. So the show I watched is from any television uh, networks. I, I think it was 2006, I want to say, but um, it's called In Search of the Real Frankenstein. Frankenstein. Um, Frankenstein. I almost said Frankenstein. <laughs> um, but In Search of the Real Frankenstein. Frankenstein, oh my gosh. And it was interesting. Like I said, I had to fast forward because they focus, they basically are like, there's three i think it's three main guys is it three or four four? but anyway it's like here's this handful of men who did potentially weird creepy stuff and in some cases like they definitely did weird creepy stuff and like they go into detail and if you are squeamish i don't recommend it really Mm -hmm. um like i said i had to fast forward most of it until i got to just like the one little section about jk because it was too much for me i don't know Mm -hmm. i don't consider myself super squeamish but when you're like when you're showing pictures and doing reenact I just mm -mm, nope no thank you 
Um, yeah. But it was interesting. And if you want to learn more about the men that kind of um, potentially played a role in Frankenstein, the book, uh, it's interesting. Um, I also use the monsters, Mary Shelley and the Curse of Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. Um, in Search of Frankenstein, exploring the myth be- myths behind Mary Shelley's monster by Radu Florescu. And mm-hmm. then I have a medical history article on Dipple um, and a couple, couple others, but those are kind of like my main ones. So, okay. Good. And those are good sources. Cause I, and I know that because I shared some of them because I, again, guys, my library right now, our interloan library program is closed. So I can't get stuff yeah. right now. So I'm kind of, it's hard, but here's what I found. Um, I had Frankenstein, other man-made monsters by Bob Curran, which is an interesting book. It mentions, there's a little chapter and section on Castle Frankenstein and Johann Dippel. And, but the, the rest of the book is interesting. Um, I read the In Search of Frankenstein book by Radu Florescu. Is that how we're saying it? Sure. Okay. And I did- Some Romanian guy who also wrote about- uh, In Search Dracula, of Dracula, Dracula, which so. makes me want to read because he referenced it in the In Search of Frankenstein oh. book and it was very interesting. So oh. Um, yeah. Oh, I did cite the Between Sardis and Philadelphia, The Life and World of Pietist Court Preacher Conrad Brusk by Douglas A. Schantz. That's the book that we'll probably get here I don't know, tomorrow when it's too late for this podcast uh, recording, but it is about, it has a whole chapter, chapter eight. If I could just have, if I would pay, I didn't want to pay $35 for the whole book online because I I couldn't pay $5 for just chapter eight, but that's the chapter that is all about this whole thing. So if I get more info on it, that's interesting, I will share it. Um, I had an article, had some websites you know, so it'll all be in our full sources, but you know, those, those two books were, or two, two books and part of a chapter were where I got my main information uh, from my guy. And uh, you'll hear a lot more about all of that stuff with some extra sources in the bonus episode. Yeah. All right. So, oh, it's time to tease next week. Mm-hmm. So I, it, this is my fault guys. I, made a change in our schedule because I can't get my sources. So we were originally supposed to do someone next week that we are now not doing. We had to like, well, we're doing them, but we're just not next, but not in this. Yeah. Not in this order. I just needed an extra week for some of my stuff to get here. So we had to like do a swap and whatever. So I did not give Brenna time to come up with a super clever teaser about the guy that we're doing next week. So I mean, I can try my hand at giving you a teaser this guy is an inventor. It's not going to be clever. It's just not. I'm just going to like, I'm telling you the guys that right now, clever teasers is Brenna's purview. She's in charge of quotes and clever teasers. And I swapped on her unexpectedly. So here's your completely unclever teaser. He was an inventor. He was a musician. And he, according to legend, debuted his invention in a ridiculous way that did not go well. So, so yeah, that's, that's, that'll be confusing enough. Okay. And also not. So yeah, we'll go with that. So that's my teaser. Um, do you have anything else for this week? No. Okay. Then until next time, live dangerously, do science.